Hey there, and welcome to the 680 News Podcast. I'm your host, John Mace. On this weekly program, we take a look at some of the week's biggest stories. We offer you an inside look at our operations here downtown Toronto, all while trying to have a bit of fun, too. Thanks so much for tuning in. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We've reached something of a conclusion in one of the nation's biggest trials, if not the biggest. Our John Stahl spoke to the Toronto Star's Kevin Donovan on the morning of May 11th, the day Gian Gomeshi signed a peace bond in exchange for a clean record. Our traffic department is kicking into summer gear. Every weekend, more and more traffic is heading up to cottage country, and out come the trailers. Hoping to avoid any costly losses to you and in turn a traffic jam, we talked to the OPP's Carrie Schmidt about how to trailer safely. Those wheels will not be able to handle it, and they'll uh, they'll cook themselves right off the axle. Also coming up, our Ann Lavery is bridging the gap between parents and Generation Z. So we're going to talk about why some parents are giving their kids weed. And speaks with the deputy editor of today's parent about pot, and apparently having kids before 30 leads to a lower salary. All that and more coming up, but first, our top story. This week, former CBC Radio star Gian Gomeshi apologized for what he called his thoughtless and insensitive behavior toward a former co-worker who accused him of sexually assaulting her at work. It was his first time speaking out since the scandal erupted in 2014. After signing a year-long peace bond, the prosecutor withdrew the single charge of sexual assault. On the day of the verdict, our John Stahl caught up with Kevin Donovan from the Toronto Star, one of the reporters who co-broke the story. What's on your mind this morning as you head to the courthouse and, and see this come to the kind of resolution or fruition that we expect today? Well, I, I think it's been a protracted uh, case. It's gone on for a couple of years. Uh, this uh, is, It plays out as as I've heard it's going to with some sort of a statement from Mr. Gameshi and then a peace bond. Uh, it's probably for uh, some of the people involved not not a, a bad resolution. Uh, the, the crown uh, was certainly outmatched in the in the last one, um, and uh, and this one it seems that they've come to a negotiated settlement. And uh, sometimes in the justice system, I think that uh, that uh, works well. But, but what do you think we should read into? Or not we, but I think everybody is going to have some kind of reaction to what takes place today. That. If there was a witness, as we believe that there was from the CBC, and that it was somewhat different than the last case, where there was not just one person's word against another, and that, as you report this morning, the CBC had actually provided some form of information to the Crown and the police, some people might say, well, that's good enough to go to trial, no? Yeah, and, and my understanding of it, and I, I could be wrong, but what I've been told is that uh, this came from the, the defense side. They said, uh, you know, we, we don't want a trial, and, and uh, uh, can we find out uh, some other way to resolve this? Uh, uh, the last time I heard from Crown Attorney Callahan was uh, on the courtroom steps uh, after the last one. He said, no, we're preparing for a trial, and, and I take him at face value. And how are you feeling professionally and personally as the one who, I guess, broke this story so long ago that it's... It's coming to the kind of uh, resolution without any charges or uh, any kind of guilt. Well, once we do uh, a story, uh, um, you know, I like to step back and, and just uh, see what happens, how, how the system handles it. Uh, uh, I think uh, you know, it's uh, if if, it, if people come out of this with Mr. Gomeshi making some sort of a, um, an, an apology uh, and. Uh, Perhaps giving some indication of what his way forward is. I think that's uh, that's okay. I mean, I think people uh, who, who came to us uh, uh, and to others uh, wanted to be heard, and, and I think they have been. 
Are you guys, do you think, as a star or as a media, in any way vulnerable to, because there is no uh, finding of guilt, um, le- legally vulnerable to Mr. Gomeshi, as maybe with CBC or anybody else is, now that he's been cleared? Well, I don't think so. I mean, the, the, the rules of libel and slander would require him to have uh, given some indication of a lawsuit within six weeks of hearing of allegations, and, uh, and we've never heard a peep from him. And what about the status of the rest of the story? I, I'm aware that you were writing a book on the, the story, as certainly one who was so much a part of it. What is the status of that, and uh, where are you with it? Uh, well, I, I very much wanted to include the, the, the legal proceedings in it, so uh, hopefully it's going to be uh, out some point uh, uh, before the end of the year. Uh, so uh, you know, we've got to see what happens today, and, and uh, uh, there's been lots of research in it. We had a story uh, not too long ago about another uh, complainers who came forward uh, telling a story, and and uh, so you know, still working away and doing other stories. So the final chapter is written today. Uh, that's a good way of putting it. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks a lot. That was our John Stahl speaking with Toronto Star's Kevin Donovan. A peace bond, by the way, is most commonly used in cases of domestic assaults. It is a criminal code provision that allows authorities to impose conditions on someone and in which they promise to be of good behavior. Well, the sun is shining, the kids are in the car, and the 400 is jammed all the way up to Barrie. A situation all too familiar for GTA cottagegoers. Part of the problem, believe it or not, is broken down trailers. Hoping to avoid any costly malfunctions and therefore traffic jams, I hand the mic over now to our traffic expert, Daryl Dahmer. Good day. With us today is Sergeant Kerry Schmidt, Ontario Provincial Police, and along with... Him is Mr. Rob Valentine, Hello. my co-partner in the morning. We want to talk about trailering. It's uh, the summer season uh, just on the horizon. We want to know how to do it safely. What are the, some of the things that people should be, well, should watch out for? Well, absolutely. The very first thing, before you take your trailer out, make sure it's in good condition. Make sure the uh, the wheels and bearings are, are properly lubricated, inflated properly, uh, that there's there's nothing that's going to be falling apart or falling apart on this trailer because uh, we don't want it uh, becoming disabled or, or detaching from your vehicle as you're pulling it down the road. So do a pre-inspection of the trailer. Make sure it's in good condition. And then when you're connecting it and attaching it to your vehicle, make sure that your hitch and your secondary means of attachment, your safety chains, are all properly attached and secure. Uh, they're not dragging on the ground. Make sure everything is connected and you're having, you have all the parts that you need to ensure that if there is a problem down the road, that you're not going to have a failure on the highway. One of the things that I notice uh, a lot of times that we see ATVs in the back of the trailers and that, and they're wallowing all over the place. How can the average uh, motorist determine the proper C of G for the trailer and the proper way to load it? Well, for sure. First of all, make sure you know what the rating of your trailer. You might have a little landscape trailer that's nice for uh, moving leaves and, and light loads, and you start putting ATVs and heavy equipment, construction and building materials on there, and you're going to overload those axles, you're going to overload those wheels, and you start driving down the highway, you're going to build up so much heat that those wheels will not be able to handle it, and they'll, uh, they'll cook themselves right off the axle. So first of all, make sure you know what the rating is. When you're putting the uh, load onto the trailer, make sure it's balanced across the trailer so you, you don't uh, have it all in the back of the trailer because that will give you a negative tongue weight. It'll actually lift from the hitch on the trailer. It'll take weight off your vehicle, and that's very dangerous. It can make your vehicle very unstable as well. So make sure you're properly balanced. That it, it, The weight is mostly on the, uh, the axles of the trailer with a little bit of uh, weight on the tongue of the trailer. And if you read your owner's manual, it'll tell you exactly 
what's the appropriate amount of weight and how much tongue weight you should have on the hitch. Carrie, how many chains are required, safety chains, to make sure that the trailer doesn't break away from the uh, hitch? Well, you need to have a proper secondary means of attachment. Typically, trailers will have two sets of chains, and what they'll do is crisscross them underneath the tongue of the trailer so that if there was a failure of the hitch, that it'll actually get cradled in those safety chains. Now, uh, there needs to be a, a means of secondary uh, attachment. It doesn't actually explicitly say whether or not it's supposed to be one or two chains, but uh, I think uh, two chains is by far the best because if there's a problem, then uh, it'll be there to cradle. And, and just make sure those chains aren't dragging on the ground as well, because uh, you'll, well, I'll often see uh, trailers dragging, going down the highway, sparking where the chains are dragging, and that's uh, wearing away those chains, and it's going to cause a problem, and it won't have that effectiveness that you think it has when you uh, first put them on. Okay, Kerry, what's the biggest complaint for drivers as they make their way to the, to the uh, cottage? Well, what we see all the time is people loading up their trailers with all the gear they're going to need for the summer, it seems like. And half the time, this stuff is piled up so high that drivers can't even see behind them. So it's so important that they, they make sure they still have a view to the back of the vehicle behind them so they know what's coming up from behind. And make sure their load is secured properly because every long weekend and every weekend when we see all these people and folks traveling north, we find coolers and paddles and life jackets and lawn chairs and barbecues that have come off of trailers and that they're now blocking lanes or they're off on the shoulder. And that's a huge hazard and a huge concern for us. We've seen quite a few collisions where people are hitting debris. And, and certainly it's so important that drivers make sure their loads are secure. And then after they've driven a few miles, go back and double check to make sure those straps are still tight because very often you'll see settling of the load. And when that happens, the straps are no longer tight and they're now, your load will be insecure and can easily fall out when you're traveling down the highway. I notice you say straps, not bungee cords. you love bungee cords? Well, you know, bungee cords have their place, but they have no place for load security. So if you have a tarp over top of all your load, you, know, you can use a bungee strap to keep that uh, tarp from, from flapping in the breeze. But don't use a, a bungee strap like a rubber band uh, to load and secure uh, pieces of equipment that are being secured down. For that, you need to use the proper straps, ratchet straps, tie-downs that uh, are have a rating that will actually hold and secure that, that content on the trailer uh, in case you have to hit the brakes. A bungee strap is just going to fly off like a rubber band if all of a sudden there's a shifting of the load. It's not going to secure any of your contents. Carrie, let's talk about lighting on the trailers. Does every trailer have to have a set of lights on it as well as brake lights or what? Yeah, you need to have a light on it when you're driving it. At night, after uh, sunset, you need to have at least a red light on the back of the trailer, including a reflector as well. But if your vehicle and trailer combination is over 6.1 meters in length, you need brake lights and signal lights as well. So be aware of that. If you have a very small trailer, you, you may not need the, the signal lights, but for the most part, uh, they come equipped with most trailers. So it's a good idea to have, but... Absolutely. If your combination of your vehicle and your trailer are over 6.1 meters, and you have to get out and measure that, uh, that you certainly do need uh, brake lights and signal lights on the rear of your trailer. Kerry, when a motorist wants to put lights on the trailer and want to hook them up, I know that uh, when you can order your car, your SUV or whatever, they've got a trailer package where they have a harness inside the trunk where they can hook up for the lights. Uh, how does this work? Well, absolutely. Most vehicles have a, a trailer wiring harness at the back of the vehicle, a 4-pin, 5-pin, or a 7-pin connector 
that uh, you can uh, connect your trailer up to. Uh, if your vehicle does not have that, uh, you can certainly go to any uh, trailer shop or a garage. They'll be able to install that for you. Some places can even do it yourself uh, by splicing into the wiring system in the vehicle. But uh, make sure you know what you're doing. We often see a lot of trailers improperly uh, installed, and when you hit the brake lights, all of a sudden the signal starts flashing, or you, if you hit the signals and the brakes at the same time, everything goes dim, and there's the improper grounding of the wiring. So just make sure before you get out onto the road, you connect your trailer and then double-check your lights, your running lights, your signal lights, and your brake lights to make sure they all work properly so people know what you're doing when you're going down the road. Now, what about uh, mirrors? Let's say the uh, the trailer and the contents are slightly wider than the mirrors on the car. What options do motors have? Well, if you're hauling a wide load that prevents you from being able to see clearly from behind, you can get these strap-on mirrors on your vehicle that gives you a clear view to the back. You are required to have the mirrors in your vehicle that allows you to see behind you. And so you can't have your load so wide to prevent you from seeing traffic coming up from behind. So... Make sure you uh, adjust your load properly so that you see behind you or get these extra mirror additions that you can put on your vehicle that will give you better visibility. We often see them with uh, campers and fifth wheels and, and larger units, but uh, smaller trailers could have that as well. And if you're hauling something really wide, be aware that there are certain limits to how wide your load can be. So we don't want uh, things over uh, overhanging the trailer and overhanging the lane because that will cause a problem for uh, you driving down the highway as well. Coming up to summer, you have a setup at the uh, service center on the 400 northbound, just north of Toronto. And I encourage motors to go in there. You, you may you may not want to meet with the OPP, but it's a great, great option for you to have a professional look at what you've done and make sure it's safe, because this is what this is all about. Absolutely. We do a long weekend initiative very often, and we set up at the uh, on-route service centers. And uh, we'll be checking to make sure everybody's kayaks and barbecues and lawn chairs are properly secured and, and just giving us some information how they can uh, be safe out in the road. So please come on by and visit us. Say hello. We'd love to meet with you and, and chat and just make sure that everything is uh, the way it should be. If you have any questions, feel free to come and ask them to us. We'll be able to assist you if you have car seats uh, that you don't know if they're installed properly or there's other issues that you have questions about uh, traveling on the highways. Uh, we're there to help you out and answer any questions you might have. Apparently, Rob drives around with his kids on the roof. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we don't want to see that, that's for sure. <laughs> They're older now. They can run right beside. All right, Kerry, thank you very much. You've been terrific. All right, my pleasure. Thanks, man. Now, here's a recurring segment on our live broadcast, the Today's Parent Report. To take a closer look at some of the issues affecting the modern family, here's our Ann Lavery speaking with Leah Rumack, the deputy editor of Today's Parent. All right, so today I want to talk about three topics. One has been in the news quite a bit lately, and it wasn't too long ago we had National 420 Day, and April the 20th was the same day that the federal liberal government announced that pot legislation will come out next spring. And just this past weekend, we also had the Marijuana March. So we're going to talk about why some parents are giving their kids weed, medical marijuana. Then I want to talk about the science behind this. 
why I knew my mother always had a favorite. And I know that when I saw the statement, I thought, well, that is quite bold, but I think it's true that parents do have a favorite child, and now we might have the science to prove it. But first, I want to know if having a baby before the age of 30 can hurt your career. And I'm talking mainly mothers, not fathers. This is about mothers. So tell us about this new study out of Washington University in St. Louis. So the study was of almost 1.6 million Danish women between the ages of 25 to 60, and they were studied on a long-term basis from 1995 to 2009. They factored education into the research, so, you know, they didn't skew it. And the most startling well, not the most startling, but the women who experienced the biggest loss in their salary was women without a college degree who had their first child before 25. Those who had babies before they turned 25 lost about two and a half years of average annual salary growth over their contemporaries who waited until after age 31. But college-educated women who had their first child after 37 added a half year to their overall lifetime salaries. That is me. I'm me not too. sure if that's true, it's but me too. <laughs> that's true, too. And um, even if it's a year or two, I was surprised. Even if you have the child at 28, 29, it really does affect. I was surprised, too. It, it sort of felt, and our writer felt that, too, that it was splitting hairs when we're talking about a 29-year-old versus a 31-year-old. But, I mean, I think, obviously, the the differences grow the younger you are. You know, it's difficult to, you're just starting your career and then you take a break. Yeah, I mean, I can see how it happens. All right. So now let's move to the next story and explain to me why my mom liked Tom the most. Well, I'm sorry, Anne. It's science. Um, 74% of moms and 70% of dads reported favoritism towards one of their kids. And apparently, most favorites were the eldest child. Yay for me! Lucky for you, I was the youngest. <laughs> we'll talk about my self-esteem shortly. <laughs> but go ahead, why were you the favorite? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't honestly feel that I personally was the favorite. This is what the study showed. Um, and it also showed that favorite, I have two younger sisters, but my I have an only child, so he's my only favorite forever and ever. But the study also showed that favoritism affected the youngest sibling's self-esteem the most, but didn't affect the oldest siblings. So they don't, we don't have big heads, which no. is really smart. <laughs> All right. And maybe that's the greatest way to segue into this uh, next story. Let's talk about um, medical marijuana. And I know it's a touchy topic. Um, it's very much in the news these days. Um, we have parents that have found that giving their epileptic child or other children with certain medical conditions medical marijuana mainly digesting as in edible yes it's it's not like we're having five-year-olds toking up these are parents at their wits end kids who have severe epilepsy um, and that have developed resistance to other anti-seizure drugs or have such serious side effects from the other anti-seizure drugs. Like, they're basically zombies drooling on the couch. It's like they have no quality of life because of the severity of the side effects of these drugs. So some parents in this community are trying uh, medical marijuana in the form of edible oil and are finding some success. 
Yes, they're finding that their child is a little bit more awake and alive, and they're not sitting on the couch. They do feel that even though it hasn't been proven medically, they could see it. Their well, children are you, acting different. Yeah, you. I mean, you know your kid. I mean, one of the concerns with the use of medical marijuana, as it is with any medication, is that after a while, the effects wear off. Uh, there haven't been any long or short-term studies on the use of cannabis oil to treat epilepsy, uh, particularly in children yet. So they might they might find that it helps for now, but it doesn't help for later. And there's also other concerns, of course, with the use of marijuana in terms of brain development. But a lot of the classic anti-seizure medication, there are also concerns there with brain development. Huge, huge side effects there. And I think they're starting to find that there seems to be less side effects with the medical marijuana. And then trying to get the medical marijuana is another story in itself almost. Yeah, well, it's been a big journey for these parents, and they really have to go out of their way. It's not like they're like, eh, you know what, let's try this. Like, they have to find a doctor that's willing to give them a prescription. And most neurologists, who are the doctors that treat children with severe epilepsy, are reluctant because there has not been any, you know, golden standard studies released. Like, they see anecdotally in their practices that parents are telling them that it's working, but, you know... They're scientists. They can't, they can't put that pen to paper. But so parents are often sort of going to family doctors or, you know, talking them into, you know, getting access to the, to this. You know, they used to have to like order it from Colorado, order buds and then turn it into oil in their own slow cooker. And it was like a big deal. Now, um, you can actually access cannabis oil in Canada, but it's still, it's still difficult. And they're swapping recipes yes. online. How do you make, you know, brownies, you know? And I understand it's through the, the butters and the oils. That's yeah, where infusing the, the butter and the oil. That's right. But here they are. Their parents, they're trying to do the best for their kids. You know what? They have so much to worry about the health. And then to be maybe looked down upon or frowned upon when they're just trying to do the best for their child. Well, the big thing about medical cannabis oil is that it's not getting high marijuana. This is edible oil infused with strains of medical marijuana that are high in cannabidiol, which people say CBD, and low in THC, which is THC is the compound that gets you high. Cannabidiol, on the other hand, reduces frequency of seizures. So it's not like they're getting their kids stoned. No. They're using it as medicine. Exactly. And basically, as the mothers are saying, they're not 100%. They're not absolutely seizure-free, but they're much better, they're much happier, and they're functioning more. And who doesn't want that for your kid? Perfect. All right. Thank you so much for joining us here in studio. Thanks, Anne. All righty. And that's our show for today. Thanks a lot to you for listening and to all my contributors for this week. A reminder that we'd like your feedback for future episodes. You can send your comments or story ideas to at John Mace 680 News on Twitter, or you can reach the listener line at 416-872-6800. Your recorded comments could make it on to future episodes. I'm John Mace, and thanks for listening.